I was working full-time in furniture manufacturing and going to school full-time at uh, the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. My plan was to be a history professor. But then in Greensboro, where I live, uh, we had the Greensboro Gun Show, and the city council was trying to cancel the gun show. It's a virtual signaling tool against the Second Amendment. And I said, uh, you know, I was very much against that. And when they announced they were going to have a meeting that was going to be, quote, about gun violence, uh, I pretty much knew what that meant. That meant they were going to rally the troops to gain support to cancel the gun show. So after much uh, mulling it over while I was at work that day for 10 hours, I decided to get off from work and actually go to the meeting. Did not plan on speaking, but once I got there and I heard some of the ridiculous things that people were saying behind that podium, uh, I could not help myself. I felt like I needed to say something. And so I signed up to speak and I walked up to the podium and the rest, as they say, is Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential. And here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. We've got a great guest today. Our guest today was the ninth of 10 kids in his family. His home life wasn't great. And after his abusive father passed away, he saw his mom work hard to provide for and take care of her family. He credits his mother's leadership for fostering a foundation for his faith and an understanding that with hard work, he could achieve anything. Now, he hasn't had an easy life, but he didn't let that stand in the way of achieving something that has never been done before in the state of North Carolina. He's an Army veteran, a manufacturing worker, and a small business owner, but some may know him because of a fiery speech he gave at a city council meeting on the Second Amendment. A year after that speech, he announced his run for lieutenant governor and won in a crowded field. Now, whether he's advocating for economic growth, educational freedom, or just standing up for the values that make this country exceptional, he is a force to be reckoned with. He's not interested in political games or empty rhetoric. He's all about action and results. And his story, coupled with his unwavering commitment to public service, makes him a leader whose impact will undoubtedly be felt for years to come. I want to welcome the first black American lieutenant governor of the great state of North Carolina, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson to the podcast. Lieutenant Governor, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so I understand that you just got back from Israel. And uh, and before that trip, you issued a proclamation as the acting governor in supporting Israel. Tell me about that. Well, we watched in horror uh, the events unfold on October 7th, uh, the deadly attack that Hamas staged on, on Israel and on innocent uh, men, women, and children, and civilians. And uh, we were mortified. Uh, we knew that it was going to turn into what it has turned into, which is a, a basically a war. Uh, uh, Israel has, is now waging war on Hamas in, in, on the, in the Gaza Strip. And so um, we knew that we had to do something to show our solidarity with the people of Israel, with the nation of Israel. And so our small capacity, what we could do was issue a proclamation declaring that we were unified with them and 
uh, declaring a day of prayer for the nation of Israel so that they would uh, uh, so that we would beseech God and giving them the guidance, wisdom and strength to be able to uh, overcome uh, those terrible terrorists that uh, committed that action on October 7th. Well, yes, and th- and thank you for thank you for that. I, you know, I want to talk to you. F- uh, I've got so many ways to go in this interview, but I first wanted to talk about, I guess, your 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 upbringing. And you know, I think it's a it's a great success story that that any American can look to. You know, I I've many times said I think in life that there's victims and there's victors, and you kind of choose which one you want to be. And you chose to be a victor rather than a victim in my view, but talk a little bit about that for, for those, maybe there's kids listening right now who are in the same situation that you were in. Give them hope that someday they could become the Lieutenant governor, the governor, whatever of, of, of their state, despite the situation they might find themselves in today. Yeah. I would tell those kids, my story is just one of millions of stories of people who came from disadvantaged backgrounds, who came from poor backgrounds, who had all the strikes against them, so to speak, that the folks on the other side of the aisle from us will tell you that, you know, cause you to have to lean on the government for support and, uh, and tell you that you're a victim and tell you that there are folks out there that are going to victimize you. Uh, all, there are many, many stories of many people uh, who, who have overcome those those odds. Uh, and my story is one of those. You know, I tell folks all the time, uh, coming from where I came from and rising to uh, the position that I've risen to in this short amount of time is only possible in America and with God. And uh, I, I can assure you, I can assure you that uh, there are many, many young people who are looking at us and they are saying to themselves, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it. Because I can tell you this. Uh, I don't I don't really like identity politics. I I think people who know me know that I don't like identity politics, but we have to be real about the nation that we live in. We're only uh, we're not even 200 years uh, uh, short of uh, slavery being ended in this nation. In fact, we're far short of 200 years of slavery being ended in this nation. And we still are suffering many of the effects of some of the awful bigotry that we saw from the 1950s and 60s those turbulent times that we went through. And I know for myself uh, what great energy it always gave me to see someone who looked like me, who came from a background like me, achieving at a high level, having a great job, having a great career, being a Marine, being a sailor, being a, a, an officer in the Army or being a, a member of the United States Army. It gave me great energy to know that I too could do that. And so we are hoping that young people are looking at us, taking a cue and understanding you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. Well, and and let's talk about your background. I mean, obviously, I I I already know who you're going to give most of the credit to, and that would I'm sure be to God. But but tell me a little bit about your rise from that. Who did you rely on? Sounds like your mother. Uh, you know, your faith. Tell me a little bit about your journey there. Well, you know, coming up, I came up in Greensboro. Uh, had a pretty turbulent. Uh, I'm gonna say pre. Yeah, I had a pretty turbulent childhood. Saw some things no no child no person should ever see. A lot of domestic violence uh, existed in my house. I, I called my father an alcoholic, but my father was a weekend alcoholic. Friday came, he'd get drunk, and then the violence would start uh, against my mother. And uh, but we overcame that. 
my father was much older than my uh, my mother. I love to tell the story about my about my father. My father, I was born in uh, 1968. My father was born in 1897. He was uh, in his 80s when he died in 1979. Uh, he was much, much, much older than my mother. And uh, when he died, he left my mom with uh, five children in the house, at, ranging, I think, from eight, from grade second to 12, somewhere around there. And uh, my mom had the opportunity then to just sit back and wait for government assistance. And she could have lived off that for the rest of her life. But she didn't. My mom went out and got a job. She became a custodian at uh, one of the universities here in Greensboro. And uh, that's how she fed us. And she did a darn good job of it, too. Uh, and so I took a cue from her and understood that, you know, I can't sit around and wait on anybody to get it done. I've got to get it done for myself. And that's the exact same thing that I did when I became a young father and husband. I took it on my shoulders to get out and make a living for myself without depending on government assistance. And it was tough. We saw a lot of tough times. We saw a lot of tough times. Uh, my wife and I, as we were coming up with our young family, but we were able to overcome those tough times as well and brought us to a, a greater place. But I can tell you this. One of the greatest things my mom did besides show us that example of hard work and and, and not giving up. One of the greatest things my mom did, she always ensured that I was around proper role models. The very first role models I ever had in my life were in the church. And then uh, when I went off and went to school, my mother was, was she was always determined to make sure I was hanging out with the right people and had the right role models in my life. And I can go back through my life and I can count the years and the people who touched my life and pushed me in the right direction. And each one of those people's each one of those people added a piece to what you see now. And that's one of the best things that my mom did. She always made sure that we had kept proper company. Yeah, that's, that's you know, uh, you hear that so often. Uh, moms love guiding their, their children through, especially very difficult times. And it sounds like your mom is a very special woman. Um, sure. Did you ever, I mean, thinking back on it, did you ever think, that you would be the lieutenant governor of the state of North Carolina? <laughs> Absolutely not. I I had no desire whatsoever to be an elected official, have never thought about being an elected official. It's never been on my radar. Even after the city council meeting, when I gave the speech at the city council meeting, uh, I immediately started to get calls from people. They wanted me to run for office, run for this, run for that. And I roundly dismissed that idea. Uh, it came to a point, however, that uh, looking at the situation and how it happened, I firmly believe that the reason why I was put behind that podium that night uh, in Greensboro, I was put there, first off, uh, I think God orchestrated the entire thing. He, and in fact, I know he orchestrated the entire thing. And he was doing it uh, because God is the one who gave us our freedoms. And when he sees our freedoms in peril, he assembles people together to protect those freedoms. And I believe I was one of those folks. A lot of people want me to sell that speech as a commodity, you know, attach a number here and there on the internet and you'll make millions of dollars. I did not see it as something that I was supposed to get rich off of. I saw it as something that was supposed to inspire people to action, not a commodity to be sold, but something to be uh, freely given to people to inspire folks to action. And so I said, you know, if we're really going to make change and going to take advantage of what we've been given here, uh, we've got to step into the arena where that's done, and that's politics. And uh, it was actually my wife who, just, who, who uh, 
uh, came up with the idea of running for lieutenant governor. I thought it was crazy at the time. I looked at it in the second highest seat in the state and uh, talked to a few folks and uh, ended up talking to just the right people, ran a campaign that was fantastic, total grassroots, very little money. Nine-way primary, we won that hands down without a runoff and then went into a general election and won that as well against a longstanding uh, uh, state house member. And so uh, we feel very blessed. We feel like God has us on the right track and uh, we're going to continue on that track as, as long as we can. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by w- what made you want to go give that speech. You know, this, this podcast is about people who just, you know, say I've had enough and they kind of go and take action to eliminate a government barrier uh, to, to them, whether it's, you know, a licensing issue or something like that. What made you decide you wanted to go give that speech that day? So, uh, at the time, I have to set the I have to set the stage for you, so to speak. At the time, I was working full time in furniture manufacturing and going to school full time at uh, the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. My plan was to be a history professor, and I was well on my way to attaining my bachelor's degree. Uh, so my my days and nights were very busy. Uh, I did all of my politicking, so to speak, on social media. My entire page was all political all the time. Talked at length about protecting and standing up for the Second Amendment. And you have to remember, these. this was right in the shadow. This is right during the days of the David Hogg folks running around saying, get rid of the Second Amendment, get rid of people's gun rights. And uh, I spoke vehemently against those folks who were speaking up against the Second Amendment, against our gun rights on social media. But then in Greensboro, where I live, uh, we had the Greensboro Gun Show. And the city council was trying to cancel the gun show as a virtual signaling tool against the Second Amendment. And I said, uh, you know, I was very much against that. And when they announced they were going to have a meeting that was going to be, quote, about gun violence, uh, I pretty much knew what that meant. That meant they were going to rally the troops to gain support to cancel the gun show. And So after much uh, mulling it over while I was at work that day for 10 hours, I decided to get off from work and actually go to the meeting. Did not plan on speaking, but once I got there and I heard some of the ridiculous things that people were saying behind that podium, uh, I could not help myself. I felt like I needed to say something. And so I signed up to speak and I walked up to the podium and the rest, as they say, is history. (laughs) Now, I want to go back even a little further uh, before that speech. How did you get your your values. You're very committed to the Bill of Rights, to mm-hmm. understanding, you know, the the, uh, the the Bill of Rights, our, our right to free speech, our right to religious freedom, all of those things enshrined in the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. How how did that, that didn't just happen, I'm sure. Was that your mother? I mean, where did you get those values from in your mind? So, you know, I, I would like to say they were just built in in the womb. <laughs> But I don't think that's the case. I think right. what I, 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 when I say this, I'm com- being completely honest. Uh, growing up, we never talked about politics in our house. Never. We ne- never talked about Republican, Democrat, president, senator, nothing. What we talked about when, when we were growing up, my brothers and sisters and I, uh, my mom, uh, we talked about what was right, what was wrong, what was fair, what was unfair, and then ultimately what the Bible said about it. Those were the values that we were raised on. Fair, fairness, right and wrong, and what the Bible said about any issue. 
Whenever we got stuck and couldn't figure something out, I can always remember one of my older brothers and sisters going and getting that big family Bible, opening it up and trying to find the answer inside. And those were the values we were raised on. So when it came time to me for, for me to confront politics, I think it was just an, it was already ingrained in, in me. I was already a conservative. I just didn't know it. I came to know I was conservative because a friend of mine challenged me about something that I said about a political commentator, Rush Limbaugh. I had heard on television that he was a racist and I said he was a racist. My friend challenged me and said, do you know him? I said, no, I don't. He says, how do you know he's a racist? So I set out to, to prove my friend wrong and went and got his book and read it. And then I can, after reading the book, I discovered that I was conservative and always have, had been. And then, of course, I, I start uh, you know, making the discovery of the two parties, Republican and Democrat, and of course, fell on the Republican side. And uh, my interest in knack uh, for politics has been growing ever since. How about your family? I mean, what do they think of this? Your, your your siblings and others, what do they think of your your rise to become the lieutenant governor? You know, they couldn't be prouder. I've got family members, brothers and sisters. They're just as proud as they can be. And, you know, they all when I tell the story sometime when I'm on stage about how we came up and I look out there and I see them and I see the tears in their eyes. They know the walk that we've come through and to have our family because it's not just me. It's our family. I represent our family. To have a representative of our family, that hard scrabble family that came up on the east side of Greensboro as the lieutenant governor of this state, someone who's running for governor, it just, I mean, they just couldn't be proud of And they're all behind me. Yeah, it, it truly, I mean, I think America should be very proud of you. I think, again, you mentioned it. This is the only country where that could really happen um, because we we control our own destiny in america right sure. we we it doesn't matter who you are you can rise up and you look at all of the people uh you know whether it's a uh, uh, harry truman or dwight eisenhower or or abraham lincoln who rose really from 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 nothing yes. uh, to to that and for you to overcome the things that you did as a young boy and see the things that you did to now become lieutenant governor it's really america's story i would say so absolutely um, so what made you so passionate about you? You got in as uh, you were running for lieutenant governor. And then as you began your term, very passionate about tackling the education issue. Talk about that. And why do you have so much passion about education? Well, it goes back to our founding documents. It goes back to what America actually is and what America stands for. Uh, the Declaration of Independence says, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. Now they're created with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, I truly believe that life is starts in the womb, and that's why I'm I'm fiercely pro-life. I believe that liberty only comes at the behest of being able to protect that liberty. That's why I'm fiercely uh, pro-Second Amendment, and I, I believe uh, uh, the, the pursuing happiness comes. At the, at the behest of a great education, no matter what form that education may take. When you are an educated person and you can, uh, you have gained the skills that you need, you can properly pursue, uh, uh, you can properly pursue your vocation. And that's why I am so, uh, pro education and, and, and determined to see education in North Carolina get back to a place uh, where we leave some of the so-called indoctrination behind and move back into classical ed education that gives our uh, young people what they need to succeed. 
both as citizens and as uh, folks inside of our economy. You know, and not just K through 12 education, you've taken an interest in higher education as well. Absolutely. It's, you know, across the political spectrum, doesn't matter whether somebody's a Democrat or Republican, independent. What, what advice do you give students who may not want to attend a four-year university? That's not made for everyone. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my, my, my advice is twofold. Number one, weigh your options very carefully. Do not dismiss it outright. But if you know you are going to uh, um, go in another direction, no matter what direction you're going to go, whether you're going to go community college, whether you're going to go United States military, whether you're going to go to the family business, the best thing you can do is plan, 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 and then work that plan. That is the key to success in life, making a plan, working a plan, having a pathway. Uh, and don't ever count out possibly going to a four year university. Uh, you know, everybody does. Like you said, everyone does not need to go to a four year university, nor do they want to go to a four year university. In fact, I would guess that most people don't. But uh, that that option should always be there. It, it doesn't matter what what position the young person is in. If they're going off to go to the community college again, you need to have a plan and a purpose as to why you're going and what you're pursuing. Uh, conversely, if you are going to a four-year university, you need to understand that you're not going to get drunk at football games and have fun fun with your friends. You should be going to pursue your career and set yourself up for pursuing that career, doing the things that you need to do to matriculate through your university studies so that when you come out on the other side, you can attain the goal that you have laid down in your plan. And so those that is the advice, advice that I would give the young people. Uh, talking back again about K through 12 education, we saw a, a very big win this year in educational freedom in South Carolina with the expansion of the Opportunity Scholarship, uh, making it universal now. How do you think this will impact students and families in North Carolina? Uh, look, I, I am a huge proponent, uh, and I tell people this, I say it like this, an education system is not great unless parents are in control of their children's educational destiny. And this is a huge step in the right direction for us here in North Carolina. It's going to cost us less money. I believe it's going to give us far better results. Competition is the key that is going to drive excellence in education. And that is what we need. We need excellence to come back into our classrooms. And we need to allow teachers to bring that excellence back. And we need to allow parents to be the drivers of that excellence with their children. Now, I believe that when we put parents in control, put them in the driver's seat, I believe that happens. And I believe it happens also with a healthy dose of competition. So I believe it's going to be good for, for North Carolina. Uh, it's going to be good for North Carolina schools, teachers, parents, all the way around, students included. It was a very hard fought victory. You had a governor uh, that, that wasn't aligned on the issue and, and, and kind of fought, uh, fought the, the, the legislature very hard, fought you as well. Um, how sweet was it for that victory to happen? It was wonderful. And that was a win uh, for folks who are standing up for students and parents and teachers instead of systems. We have so many of our uh, politicians out there now that want to stand up for systems. And we have so many of their allies that would rather stand up for systems than, than stand up for students and parents and teachers. Uh, we've got to stand up for the individuals inside these systems and make sure that we are uh, 
uh, crafting uh, legislation that's going to benefit those folks, those people, the parents, teachers, and students, and not benefit these giant uh, uh, bureaucratic systems and, and keep them afloat. If the public school system is to succeed, it should succeed on its own merits, not because the governor says so, not because some bureaucrat says so, but because of its own merit, merits, because it is delivering the goods for our students and their and their parents and, and the teachers that work that work inside that system. So uh, I'm a strong proponent of the people, not for the systems. You know, throughout uh, our history, it seems like the, the worst performing schools tend to be in uh, in minority neighborhoods uh, in, in a lot of cases. And it's not because of this the students, it's maybe because they're locked into that system and, and what educational opportunity and educational choice does is allow those students and those parents to decide to send their kids somewhere else. They're not locked in because of their zip code. That's going to make all the difference in the world. I've seen so many times where, uh, you know, kids, a school district will say, well, you know what? We, we've got, you know, our kids, 50% of our kids are reading at grade level. Isn't that great? That's not great. That means 50% of the kids are failing. Absolutely. We need to be about every single kid. And this helps us do that. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. You know, we, we you look across the landscape and I just can't believe that the, the love and tolerant crowd to say they love everybody and want equality for everybody want students and to be stuck in low performing schools that aren't moving. They want them stuck in these bureaucratic uh, systems uh, that continue to do the same thing over and over again and get the same low performing results. They want our students to be trapped in these systems simply because they want to cling to these old systems that don't work anymore. What we need in education, number one, is we need classical education to come back, reading, writing, and mathematics. Uh, we need civics. We need financial literacy. We need all those things that teach our children how to be successful in life. Uh, but we also need accountability in education. And right now, unfortunately, in North Carolina, the way our, our school system uh, from the top is the design, there is no accountability. And uh, we've got uh, to make some serious changes here in North Carolina to see to it that those that succeed in education are rewarded and those who are failing are held accountable. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the economy. You know, Bidenomics, Lieutenant Governor, Bidenomics has hit hardworking families, I think, the hardest. And um, what can be done at a state level to ensure that North Carolinians can provide for their families? Well, you know, at the state level, we've done quite a bit with lowering taxes, personal taxes, and of course, uh, corporate taxes. Uh, being fiscally responsible here in the state is another great way uh, to help folks here in the state because being fiscally responsible uh, keeps us on a, a level a level field and keeps things good here in the state and it draws business in, keeps people employed. Uh, but at that federal level, we are seeing some serious damage. I can tell you now. I just went to the grocery store this morning and uh, I'm uh, kind of on a little keto diet here. And so I I went to the grocery store. I bought 14 cans of sardines, three avocados, a bottle of sugar free juice and two containers, two containers of uh, coffee creamer. It was eighty nine dollars. I could not believe the total uh, prices have gone out of control. Uh, and I think one of the things that we need to do here in the state, besides staying fiscally responsible and continue to lower our, lower our taxes, uh, we also need to get our folks to understand 
uh, that we've got to work hand in hand with the federal government and make some changes there, too, uh, because uh, what's going on right now at the federal level is strangling us and, and stifling our progress. Here in North Carolina, people are ready to work. Uh, they're ready to open small businesses. In fact, more small businesses have been open this year in North Carolina than any time in its history. We've set a record. So folks are ready. We've got to build that hedge to make sure we stay fiscally responsible in the state uh, so that we can keep the good times rolling. But we've also got to start getting out and getting the word out that we need to make some changes at the federal level, too, to remedy some of those problems. You know, I want to talk to you, too, about uh, North Carolina as a state and where you've come from. Before 2012, North Carolina was in debt to the federal government. Many state employees were getting furloughed and teachers went really years before seeing any pay raises. What's changed and how has that change affected North Carolina? Oh, we had a huge turnaround. Like you said, prior to 2010, we were $3.4 billion in debt to the federal government. And teachers, to be to be almost exact, teachers didn't get a raise for six years or more, I believe. Uh, and uh, we were furloughing state workers. Times were tough. No one wanted to come here and do business. Taxes were too high. Regulations were too stiff. What changed was we had a conservative takeover in 2010. And those folks, I'm so glad to say, got directly to work on our failing economy. They start to lower taxes. They start to pull back regulations, and they start being fiscally responsible so we could pay off our debt. Now, 13 years later, we are not only not in debt to the federal government, not one dime. This year, we see a $5 billion surplus. Uh, we were able to give teachers and state troopers raises and others raises, and uh, we're the number one business destination two years running. It does not happen by accident. It happens because of what I tell folks all the time. Conservatives operate off principles. They operate off principles and they put principles, they put principle in their policies. They couple principle with policy and they yield that desired result and they uh, and they turn out great for the people. You know, you can look at all the states around the country. and You can see the massive failures you see in California and Illinois and New York. Compare those with the massive success you see in Arkansas, Texas, North Carolina, and Florida. Conservative policies work because we put principle behind our policy, principles that work. And so that's what happened here in North Carolina. I can remember those days when they started lowering taxes and all the boo birds on the left were saying the state's going to go broke. And my wife and I were looking at each other saying the state's already broke. But it didn't turn out the way they said it would. It did the exact opposite, just as those conservatives knew. And that's the reason why we find ourselves in such a great place right now. One other quick issue I wanted to talk about, kind of last question. When it comes to health care, um, you know, certificate of need, a lot of uh, we've talked a lot about certificate, certificate of need here on this show. But why is repealing certificate of need important to help the people in North Carolina? Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an important issue. But one of the things that I found out is it's just not as simple as uh, it depends on where you stand in the state is how simple it may be. Some folks in some parts of the state are all for the repeal. Other folks in other parts of the state have a different take on it. So I think what it's really going to it's really going to take is going to take that continuation of the healthy conversation that's already going on in Raleigh to come to a, uh, a resolution that's going to be beneficial for everyone. Because as it stands right now with a fractured economy like we have, 
Our economies are so different across the state. What you see in the middle part of the state where Charlotte, Raleigh, and High Point, Winston, Greensboro exist is much different than the eastern part of the state or the western part of the state. So we're going to have to come up with some inventive ways uh, to tackle that issue. And I think that the legislature and the people that we have there, we have a great group of folks, both in the House and the Senate. They're going to put their heads together and they're going to find a satisfying solution to that. Lieutenant Governor uh, Mark Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it for coming on and sharing your amazing story. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, listen, to those, I I, I wanted to do this episode. Uh, to me, if there's one child maybe who sees this, one parent who sees this and says, you know what, that that could be my kid someday. Wouldn't that be a success just to have one. What a great story uh, to rise from the background that the Lieutenant governor had to be the Lieutenant governor of the great state of North Carolina is so great to have him. Listen, thanks for joining us. Liberty and freedom. They're easily taken for granted. Do not take Liberty and freedom for granted. Go out there, defend freedom, defend Liberty. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.